Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch-made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture, and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. Hey, I'm your host, Lanny, and we're back for another Greener Postures Podcast. Thanks for being here with me today is the first of a new month. We're in April and I wanted to talk a little bit about the plans I have for my garden and my homestead and what I have going on, as well as the plans for the membership and uh, for everything else Greener Postures is doing. If you were with me last month, we talked a lot about sourdough and that was super fun, but baking season feels like it's wrapping up and that was a nice final send off. I will definitely keep my start of starter uh, active and happy through the summer and it'll be ready there for me to get back into baking all the time next fall. Until then, things like planting and sowing the garden are going to take priority as well as um, new baby chicks and meat chicks and all the other things we have going on. So if you're in the Greener Postures membership, you know that we send out exclusive videos and um, a recipe card once a month, depending on which tier of membership you've subscribed to. If you're not in the membership yet, you can learn more by going to greenerpostures.com membership. And if you're just really enjoying the podcast and you want to support, there is a $3 tier for people who just want to give support for all the free content that I'm putting out there. That's my YouTube channel, this podcast, as well as my Instagram account where I'm making reels often, as well as doing other kinds of posts. Um, There's a $5 tier, a $10 tier, a $25 tier, and a $55 tier after that, all with different levels of um, information and content that you would be getting from me, as well as like even the $55 tier with one-on-one support and kitchen tutoring. So however you want to help me out and say thank you. I appreciate it. Um, You can do that directly through me by reaching out to me. Um, Just follow directions on greenerpostures.com slash membership. Or if you're already on Patreon and you use Patreon, you could go to patreon.com slash greenerpostures. And there you will find all the information on what tier you can sign up for and you can do it straight through there. If you missed any of my workshops and you want to sign up for the replay, they're all available. So by signing up for a replay for a workshop, you receive the two-hour video of the live presentation that I've done previously, including anyone who attended and their questions. You'll also get the same booklet that comes with that. It's a PDF booklet that's emailed out to you along with the link to watch the replay. And then you also get a link to the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, which you can then be a part of exclusively for all of eternity until it is no more. So if you want to come and be a part of the Greener Postures community and you don't want to do a monthly membership, purchasing one of the many workshops that I've hosted um, is a great way to do it. So whatever you're most excited about learning about, fermented vegetables, which is um, fermentation for food preservation, fermented condiments, fermented beverages, bone broth or sourdough or home canning. Those are the ones that I've done so far. 
Do keep in mind we will be doing live workshops again in June and July for the fermented condiments, fermented beverages, and fermentation for food preservation, which is the really beginner's fermentation uh, walkthrough. And all of those are super fun. I'm so excited to be doing them and doing them seasonally is really important because we are preserving the harvest. We're preserving the things that I'm growing or the things that are around me rather than using grocery store produce that have been shipped from far away and out of season. It just makes more sense for me to do these things um, when I'm doing them anyway in my normal life. And my normal life is what I want to talk about today. So thank you again for being here with me, um, watching this podcast grow and having new listeners all the time, getting messages from you guys is really invigorating. I super appreciate the positive energy that you're sending out to me. Um, I'm excited about new things coming up with the podcast as well as other things that I'm doing. And one of the things with the podcast is that I want to try to have at least one bonus episode a month, probably more than that. Um, some of the bonus episodes are going to be my overshare Q&A episodes. And that just means questions, answers, and oversharing. Give me all the information. And members are invited to those um, Zoom calls where we have a conversation and then I'll actually put that out as a podcast episode so everybody can enjoy that and learn from it. So I recently released one that was a follow-up to our home canning workshop where some people who came to the home canning workshop joined me for that Zoom call to talk about some things they thought about after the workshop, what was rattling around in their heads after that. And um, it was really fun. It's a good conversation. It's a good way for us to get to know each other better. And I, I always enjoy the, the company that I find um, in this community. So I really appreciate everyone, Laura, Dave, Ellie, who joined me for that one. Um, so I think we'll probably do a follow-up to the sourdough workshop in a little while. If anyone has questions about that, that attended or watched the replay, they can join me for a Zoom call and then we'll put it out so all of you can benefit from those great questions and, and, and tidbits of information that everyone shares. The other thing I want to do is to start having the occasional guest in which I just recorded an excellent episode with Michelle of Michelle's Healing Home. That's michelleshealinghome.com to find her website, which she's an herbalist and she knows a ton of information about herbs and she's really fun to talk to, super easy to talk to. Like, I feel like I've known her for a really long time. Um, I was on her podcast on her YouTube channel called Healing Home and really enjoyed my talk with her. Um, I had her on today to record with me and talk about herbs that I could grow in my garden. So that's what I'm going to be putting out bonus for you later in the week. The garden is what we're focusing on right now, mainly because that is everything is just waiting to start growing. I have starts started in my um, windows. So we have a nice sunny window that um, has three sides of windows, this little box kind of part of the house that sticks out from the kitchen, windows on three sides. And this year I got some shelves specifically to put in front of those windows that fit perfectly on, let's see, what is it? The east and the west side. And I put those there so that I can put some trays of starts in on those shelves. In the past, I had just put them on a table that's in that same space, but we have a two and a half year old now and he is into everything. So there's no way those plants would survive to make it outside if I had them on the table. So I've got them on these shelves now. I started uh, broccoli and cabbage and dill. I started Tulsi, Thai basil and Italian basil. I started some tomatoes and two kinds of cucumbers, a Persian cucumber, pickling cucumber and a conventional pickling cucumber. 
I'm very excited about having the tomatoes and the cucumbers especially started early because I haven't been good at that the last couple of years and I have had to go buy starts. And for some reason, both times I had to buy starts of cucumbers, they were slim pickings. There was barely anything left and they weren't very healthy. I still was able to baby them a little bit and get some good yield out of them. But this year, starting from my own starts with seeds that I specifically chose is excellent. Same with these tomatoes. And I wish I had it right in front of me. I can't tell you the variety of tomato, but I did pick a specific variety of tomato this year. I got from Baker Creek Seeds. That's a paste tomato, I think you would call it. It's going to be specifically good for making tomato sauce. And so my goal this year is to harvest ripe tomatoes, place them in a bag, put them in the freezer. And then after the season is completely over, my garden bed is cleaned hopefully otherwise just forgotten outside in the cold like we did this year. When everything's all said and done and the weather starts to cool, then I can pull all those tomatoes out of the freezer and can my tomato sauce. So that's my plan this year. The benefit to freezing them as I go rather than trying to can when they're fresh is that when I freeze them, then I can wait until I have a huge batch of tomatoes. And it takes a lot of tomatoes to make a pint of tomato sauce, or better yet, a quart, which is what I'll probably do. Um, so you need a large volume. So this will help me get, gather a large volume so that stuff's not going bad by the time the other stuff is ripe. And then also an added benefit is that freezing will expand the water in the fruit, which will then break the cell structure. So that means when it starts to thaw again, it changes consistency. And this is bad if you want to use something like you would eat it fresh. But for making sauce, it doesn't matter. And what it does is loosens the skin from the fruit so that it slips off. So I can actually place the frozen tomatoes into hot water, just like tap hot, ta hot tap water, place it in there and just the skins will slip right off. So I don't even need to cut it or anything. I'm not going to core or seed my tomatoes after that. I'm literally just going to pull the skins off of it and then puree the whole thing. Some people use a food mill to get the skins off and all this other stuff that is great. I'm sure yields a fine product at the end, but sounds like a lot of work and a lot of mess to avoid the extra work and the mess and to make it as efficient as possible. I found that letting those skins just slip off after the freezer, having them all ready at the same time is really, really awesome. So this year I hope to make tomato sauce as well as like fully made, like ready to go ragu in a jar, um, all with our own ingredients. And I'm excited about that. And one of the things I'm super excited about this year is it's my first time growing garlic. And I shouldn't say that because I think in my very first garden, it was a square foot garden, I did grow some garlic, but I like grew it and it was so exciting to me that I didn't ever use it and it ended up going bad. I was like, it was cute little cloves, like uh, baby cloves. And I was so proud of them. Like I kept them as a decoration for too long and then they were soft. Um, I think I even put them in a closed container, not realizing it. So they didn't even sprout. They like rotted. It was really sad. But um, that's my only experience with growing garlic. And I guess I don't really barely even remember that. So this is, I'm going to say this is my first time growing garlic. It's the first time I knew that I should plant garlic in the fall or uh, late fall before winter time. And it would overwinter in, in the ground and then come up on its own in the spring. So this is my first year trying it that way. And I planted it actually November 1st because we had a really long, like October even had 80 degree days. It was really weird for the Northwest. So I was waiting for the heat to subside and then I planted them in and it was snowing not like a week or two later. It was a huge quick change in weather. And so I was a little worried about it. We put hay down on top of the, the 
bed too to help have some little uh, extra insulation and it's great because now there are these little green sprouts coming up in all the areas that I planted the garlic so it was a success and that's super super exciting to me that we'll have homegrown garlic for all the things that I ferment and for our tomato sauce I'm, I'm gonna have a good amount um, and using garlic scapes for things like garlic scape pesto and other flavorings is also really enticing and exciting and and I'm I'm looking forward to all the garlic scape recipes so if you have any ideas about that send me a message I would love to hear your garlic scape recipes and if you don't know what a garlic scape is you're missing out because it's delicious. So Google <laughs> garlic scape because it's a part of green part of the uh, garlic that comes up out of the ground and you can harvest it at a certain point without harming the plant and enjoy the garlic scape while you're waiting for the garlic to fully form. I need to do a little more research on um, how to handle my garlic after it comes out of the ground because I'm actually not exactly sure how to best uh, handle those. I think I, I know I'm going to need to dry them before I store them. And I know I'm going to need to store them where there's air and where it's dark. Uh, the basics, which maybe I don't need to do any research. Maybe that's literally it, but maybe there's some tips and tricks on how to dry those best. Um, and I think it's going to be hanging them up. Maybe I don't need to look at all. I'll just hang them in the basement and I'll be fine. But yeah, so I'm excited about the garlic. Um, I'm excited about the potential of my kiwi plant doing well. I have a kiwi plant that grows these like little kiwis that look like grapes. You can eat the skin and they didn't produce fruit last. I planted it the year before last and I haven't had any fruit yet. So I'm really excited. I'm hoping this goes well this year. Last year I planted climbing beans along the same trellis and I think that I crowded it too much so I'm going to give it its space this year and really try to you know pay attention to it a little more and hope that that gets to the point where we're getting some kiwi because that would be pretty cool. Strawberries are coming back. I can see life in there but it's like a dead mess of all of last year's leaves and I honestly don't know how to clean my strawberry bed out. Um, I'm like worried I'm gonna pull the shallow roots of the baby plants up and it's all in a mess. And there's this like creeping, um, what is it, buttercup stuff that it gets everywhere around here that's all intertwined with it. And um, if anybody has tips or knows anybody that does about how to clean your strawberry bed, um, let me know. Otherwise I'm going to do nothing. Like that's, that's always an option in the garden. And actually I feel like I yield pretty good results. Just like doing nothing sometime is better than doing too much when you don't know what you're doing. So I might just leave it alone and I bet we'll have lots of strawberries. That's what I did last year and it was successful. I'm like remembering how amazing it was when my little guy who had not even been walking for very long, like he knew to go outside into the garden and I would open the gate and he would run to the strawberry patch and just like plop himself down and just pick every red berry he could see and jam the whole thing in his mouth. It's where I double checked that green parts of strawberry plants were edible and they are and they're very nutritious and he just like totally enjoyed himself and I'm so looking forward to those days where my babysitter is the the raspberry patch or the the strawberry patch and our garden is fenced in and he can just go in there and eat and eat and eat and I don't have to feel bad about it or worried and I could be working in the garden while he's enjoying himself um, this year we're going to expand the garden so that's what Chud and I were talking about today is actually about doubling the space of the garden. So we have two large rhododendrons that we're, are gonna need to be removed. And I think that's the, besides building the fence, which is um, involved, but the rhododendrons are a bigger, not problem, but project. 
They're beautiful when they're flowering, but they're the red color, which it's not my favorite rhododendron. And we have larger and bigger, you know, more rhododendrons than just those two, which is fine. But they they are visible from my kitchen window and I've enjoyed them. But I think letting those go and giving way to more space for our raspberry um, rows to expand out by another, I don't know, what is it, like 14 feet, 20 feet, um, will will be amazing because we have so many new shoots of these raspberries come up. We need to transplant those so that we have the um, space that it needs to not get overcrowded. Last year, the raspberries got out of hand where I was barely able to fit between the rows. And this year I'd like it to be just a little more easy to move through and spread out. So the raspberries continue to grow because um, I mean, you can't really have enough what we don't eat, we can freeze or make jam or give away. So there's, there's not really too many raspberries. That's not, it's not a thing. Uh, blackberries around here grow everywhere and they can get out of hand, but the raspberries are a lot easier to, easier to manage and transplant. Um, and I really enjoyed them. Um, we're also going to put in some new garden beds in this expansion, which hopefully will give me some room. So I, I don't feel like, um, I'm crowding things by growing pumpkins. I haven't really wanted to grow pumpkins and it's really just been because I feel like I don't have enough space. Last year I grew zucchini and I regretted it because I don't even want it that much and it just takes up so much space. Um, and I didn't grow uh, crookneck squash, which I really enjoy. It's like the soft summer squash that comes first and it's really good. Uh, but I didn't even grow that because I thought it would take up too much room and we didn't grow any gourds at all. So I didn't do butternut or acorn squash last year and I had the year before. Those I really like and I want to have in my garden because they overwinter really well. So that means like I could keep butternut and acorn in the bottom of my pantry just in my normal kitchen. And those things will be good for like at least nine, six to nine months. And then I can also ferment the butternut squash and it's really, really good. Like if I wait overwintering it and then I ferment it, that, that gives that almost like a two year shelf life. And that's crazy. Um, really good. So especially having something that's so nutrient dense and um, good for you in the winter time, like slow cooked squash and like roast or, or something, it's just a, a nourishing, like warm meal. And it's, it's excellent. Um, so I really want, I want to grow delicata. I want to grow um, Hubbard. I've never tried that. And I want to grow butternut and I want to grow acorn this year. And I'd love to grow pumpkins. So to do that, we just need more space. And now that I'm saying all those things, I feel like we need even more space than we're expanding to. But we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Maybe it's just a larger bed and I do some pumpkins in one. Or maybe there's going to be a, another satellite location that I do pumpkins in separate from the fenced-in garden. Um, we'll see. Uh, but the chickens are the reason there's a fence. I mean, the bunnies are one thing, but they can find a way through. Um, same with any kind of rodents or squirrels, birds, but the chickens are not the brightest and they can't really get past a pretty basic fence. So that's why we have a fence around the garden. And right now we have about 25 chickens, I would say 20, maybe 28, including our three roosters, six six hens and one rooster are first years. So they were hatched last year, probably in April or May. And so they're all, they're getting close to a year old and they laid eggs great through the winter. 
Um, our older flock is two and three years old, and they laid uh, sparingly through the winter, at least for a couple of months in the early winter, they took a good break. And that's pretty common when you're not putting lights in the, on them for the younger hens to continue to lay and the older ones take a break. So I think we're going to need to make a decision to get rid of some of our older hens this year and to make room for the new hens we have coming in. Uh, I have had a hard time getting laying hen chicks. They haven't just been at the tractor supply or the local co-ops um, as they have been in the past. And then when I looked at the hatcheries online, they were having hatching dates for chicks, uh, pullets, which are female, specifically female chicks for, for laying purposes were out until mid end of summer. And that's later than I want. I want to get the babies now. So they're fully feathered and hardy by time winter comes. Um, so we decided to put eggs in the incubator and the difference between buying pullets and getting eggs in the incubator are if you buy pullets, you get, you can pick a new variety of chickens and then you're almost guaranteed to have hundred percent female, which is what you want when you're trying to get eggs, right? The roosters don't lay eggs. Um, sometimes you'll get a, a random rooster in there because the sexing is challenging. Uh, but the the way they do it at the factory is pretty well um, uh, good at guessing the, the gender early on. And hatching in the incubator, you're getting about a 50-50 rooster to hen rate. So that means 22 eggs are in the incubator now. And if we had 50, that means 11 hens and 11 roosters and 11 roosters is too many roosters. Like it's like 11 too many. Now roosters are not useless by any means. They help protect the flock and keep order. They help alert uh, about predators. And I kind of just like them. They're beautiful looking and they don't all, they're not all jerks. Like you hear people say, I mean, we've had, we keep nice roosters and we eat the mean ones. So that, that weeds that out pretty quick. Last year when we hatched our eggs, we had not a great hatch rate. We had 22 uh, eggs and we had, I think 18 of those hatch. And we had 11 roosters out of those. Does that sound right? Yes. Maybe 12. Yes. A dozen roosters and six hens. So we processed 11 of the 12 roosters and had those for stewing birds. So rooster meat can be a lot tougher than, um, you know, conventional type breeds for meat. Like the Cornish cross is what you're usually buying when you get a, a chicken in the store. Roosters are stringy and tougher and they're a different shape. Um, for us, they're really, really great for broth. And then some of the meat I would use if it was slow cooked and for soup, but most of the meat went to our dog who doesn't eat dog food. He, she eats, um, real food. So she would have broth and rooster meat. And then we would, uh, I was just making broth and canning it. So after we processed the roosters, all I did is bag them up whole. And then I would just take two at a time out and put them in the instant pot, cover them with water and cook them down for a while, pull all the meat off the bones, put the bones back in that same liquid and then let it cook for longer. Um, they seem to have more collagen. So they have more connective tissue or ligaments or something because they make a really gelatinous bone broth and they were excellent. That's the plan again this year is just to process the, the whatever roosters that we have. And we'll probably end up keeping one, which is usually what we do. We'll keep one with the flock of the birds that they were raised with so that the those ladies have somebody with them in the smaller coop. 
we we do have two coops and then we have the brooder boxes which are for the babies until they're old enough to go outside without uh, a heat lamp so we have chicken plans for layers there but i still if i can find pullets around the same time we're hatching i might get some 10 more so that we have i'm hoping for about 20 new laying hens to be added to the flock and then we'll probably get rid of about 10 of our older birds and we were talking about whether or not we could handle processing them because they are more like pets meat birds or roosters that are young we don't attach to, but the laying hens, they follow you when you feed them and you, you start to know their personality. And, and I, I do f look at them a little differently than I do our meat birds. So it feels weird to me to think about then choosing which ones to, to process. Plus several year old hens are going to be tough. You know, you've heard the term, she's a tough old bird. I think it might <laughs> come from that a little bit. So, um, I'm not sure. I'm kind of thinking instead we'll list them on Craigslist or something. See if somebody wants to buy some laying hens. Because it's not that they're not sick. They're not too old. They're still laying. It's just not as productive as younger hens would be. So I think we're, we're just wanting to kind of refresh the flock. So somebody else might be really happy with them laying an egg every other day or every three days and just needing some starter chickens and that would be perfect for them. So hopefully we can make somebody happy by giving them hens that are already laying and they don't have to start from chicks and we'll be happy to get some extra room in the coop so that we can make room for the new laying hens that we're going to get. And then our meat birds are supposed to be hatching on I think it's about April 14th and that is from a hatchery and we're going to get 25 shipped to us, about 25. They usually throw an extra one or two in there. So we have a chicken tractor, well first a brooder ready for them for that and then a chicken tractor um, so that they'll get moved once or twice a day on fresh pasture as well as having the feed that we just got. We had a friend moving out of state that had a homestead and they had a nearly full 55 gallon drum of uh, meat bird feed and she sold it to me for a really excellent price. So organic uh, soy free meat bird feed that could be fermented if we decide we want to do it. It's like really good quality stuff. Like you can pick it up in your hand and see that it's grains. It's not crumbles or pellets. So the meat birds will have to be on chick starter for the first few weeks and then we'll switch them to that feed. And we did get Cornish cross again. They're very fast growing. Uh, but I'm, we're going to try a different method of feeding by removing their feeders completely for at least 12 hours a day just to give them a chance to do a little more moving and a little less just sitting and eating so that they keep their um, bodies a little more in shape and hopefully they... Um, they grow at a slightly slower rate, and then we can harvest them between six and eight weeks of age. It's that fast. Uh, and the most exciting part about processing chickens this year is that we bought a plucker at the end of last year. A barrel plucker um, is an electric plucker. It's like a big barrel that you turn on and it spins and it has these little rubber fingers on the inside. After you scald your chicken, you drop that inside. You run it while spraying it with water and it removes the feathers from the bird in a few minutes, maybe seconds, like 30 seconds where it was taking us, you know, 20 minutes per bird to get all the feathers out. And then it still wasn't all the feathers. And I was having to do more work when we got into the kitchen to be able to get these to a point where I felt good about putting them in the freezer. So this will cut down on our labor so much this year that I'm like actually looking forward to processing birds. 
It's a huge endeavor, but I have to say the chicken we grew last year was tastier than any chicken I have ever had. And I felt good every time I've pulled that out of the freezer to prepare it for the family. And it is absolutely worth it. Even um, the amount of labor I put into it last year, if I had to do that again, I would be, it would be totally worth it. Uh, this year will be um, hopefully a little less because of that plucker. And then we'll be, you know, freezing more whole birds, feeling good about the condition of the skin and that the feathers are fully plucked so that I don't have to do as much processing early on and that we'll do more whole birds and less pieced out chicken like I did last year, which takes a lot of time on the butcher block to break those birds down one at a time. But I'm feeling good about having processed birds as many times as we have now. I think we've done it four times, um, you know, maybe five times now. So I understand our setup and our process. And my husband and I are on the same page and we understand kind of the expectations. Um, so we can just get to work and do a little less thinking about it and a little less planning. And that helps speed things along as well. Um, I have had several people reach out to us about wanting to learn about processing chickens. So I think there might be an opportunity for us to do, you know, a kind of a hands-on workshop type thing, maybe charge a few bucks here or ask for a few dollars donation, which will help cover that cost of our, um, our plucker. So there's some cool people in the community that we've met that are interested and we might open it up that year. Last, last year we had a good friend, Max, come and help us twice, once with our roosters and once with the, the, meat birds and our friend Aaron came when we did the meat words as well. And that was a huge help. And they also got the experience to, to learn that process. And I think that's a good, uh, give and take, um, maybe not as much for Max the second time, but he was a real sport and I was really sweet of him to come out and help us again. Since we don't have very many friends, like it was really nice to be able to call him and he actually answered the call. So thank you. He even came and helped us move a piano last year too. He's a real winner. So thanks Max. Um, so guys, I'm super excited about the garden. I'm excited about the chickens. I'm excited about cheese making and, and culturing dairy. This month's theme is going to be culturing dairy. And I'm going to be talking about yogurt and butter and um, pa the pasteurization process. And we're going to talk about all things cultured dairy, including cheese making, which is what I'm currently learning. So I'm really excited to talk about that because it's what I'm diving into. I have, I think five different wheels of cheeses aging at different, um, you know, levels at this point made with different kinds of milk and slightly different processes so that I can see what's good and what's not. My first, um, batch of cheese turned out exceptionally good. I did put a reel up on um, the Instagram page, as well as my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, of my son and I trying it for the first time. And I was so excited. I was singing to it. It was like, it was really good. And then the next wheel I tried was not very good. And I used pasteurized milk. I couldn't find online where they would tell me that I couldn't use pasteurized milk, just that it would be better if it was raw milk. And I was like, but I'm going to use a raw milk starter culture that I made to inoculate the pasteurized milk. So will this work? Da, 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 da. Well, it did, but it was a different texture. It was a little bit creamy. It was weird. And it, it's not only pasteurized, but it's homogenized and, and it's got vitamin A and D added. So, you know, what factor 
goes into making cheese delicious and a great texture, that's what I'm learning about. So I learn by doing. And so I needed to actually make this cheese my, for myself to see why it was unpalatable. Then I knew what questions to ask the internet. <laughs> if I'm just reading about it, I don't have anywhere to hang the information. But if I've actually made the cheese and it was subpar, then I can kind of like look online and figure out why I might not want to use pasteurized milk. And since then, I found a vat pasteurized milk, which is a different process. It's a lower temperature. It's not homogenized in this case, and there's no added A and D. So I think that this might make a better cheese. So what did I do? Did I Google it? No. I started the same batch of cheese with a vat pasteurized milk, and I'm waiting to see how that turns out. So I think um, these kind of experiments for me are extremely valuable in learning, and I need to go through this to actually understand something instead of just memorizing information, but like really understanding it. So I'm excited to actually walk through this month with you with something I'm currently learning and something I also know really well because I haven't made much aged cheese, but I have made a lot of yogurt and a lot of kefir and a lot of kefir cheese. And I've made mozzarella and I've made ricotta and I've done that for years. So I have all this background of this understanding of milk and um, culturing milk, but this brand new process of aged cheese is just barely, I'm just barely cracking the surface of this like, oh, there's soft cheeses and there's washed rind cheeses and there's cloth wrapped cheeses and there's blue cheese and like cave aged cheese and whoa. So let's talk all about cheeses and milk and all of that and the next couple episodes coming up. And also keep in mind that I'm going to be having these bonus episodes and interviews with other people. If you like the podcast and you like what I'm putting out, please send a donation. You can do that a one-time donation through Venmo or PayPal. Or you can go to the Greener Postures membership and sign up for a monthly membership of three, five, ten, twenty-five dollars, whatever you can afford and whatever you want to give. Thank you guys for listening today. It so feels so good to just talk about what I'm working on. If you have any questions about anything I talked about or feedback, or if you want to give me any tips on anything, I love hearing from you. So send me an email or DM me on Instagram. And you might see slightly less of me on Instagram coming up because I'm super busy and I'm so excited to work in the garden. So I'm making that a priority, but you will definitely hear from me at least once a week on this podcast. So I appreciate you guys listening and for everyone who reaches out. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny and this was the Greener Postures Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at Greener Postures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. I hope to see you there. Save the life.